So today's gospel, as Katie set up for us real nicely during kids' time, today's gospel is often used to talk about gratitude, saying thank you. And I want to start off by saying I don't want to disparage gratitude at all uh, as a practice, a ritual that is done daily instead of hypothetically one Thursday in November. Gratitude has been shown over and over again in study after study to bring greater happiness, greater health, greater well-being. So it is no surprise that it is this text that is most often used as a jumping point to talk about gratitude. In fact, this gospel story is most commonly found as a recommended text for Thanksgiving Eve worship. But here it is instead showing up for us today. Right after in Luke's gospel, right after the disciples have asked Jesus to increase their faith, which we heard from Pastor Chad last week. These disciples have asked for this, this increase of faith, and Jesus tells them even a little bit of faith is enough, and then this moment happens. There is no week-long pause between that moment and this one. Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem from Galilee, two places which are divided by the region of Samaria, Um, So Nick's got a map for me. The history here is interesting, literally to only a special nerdy few of us, so I will make it short for you. But the long story short is that Samaritans are pretty reviled. They're not just disliked, like not just a, I don't really like that guy, but like actively hated, actively treated poorly. The people of Samaria were so disliked that travelers, you can see on the map, from Galilee at the top to Jerusalem at the bottom would go around Samaria, which, if you look at the map, is ridiculous, right? Like, that's quite a significant amount out of their way. They would do this just so they didn't have to interact with Samaritans. That's more than dislike, right? If you look at this map, it would seem like on this journey, if you're going from Galilee to Jerusalem, Samaria would be unavoidable. Many people managed to avoid it, intentionally managed to avoid it. It would be like going from Minneapolis to Duluth by way of North Dakota, right? Just like makes no sense whatsoever. Or going from Minnesota to Michigan through Canada to avoid setting foot in Wisconsin, which may make more sense during football season. So Jesus is on a trek from Galilee to Jerusalem. And as he nears this region of Samaria, he is approached by 10 lepers. Now, we don't know if they're all Samaritans. The text does not tell us that. But they are all on the outskirts of this village. That's an important part. They are not a part of the community. They are, in fact, required to remain outside of town. So they approached Jesus, and if you notice, they said from a distance, they stayed far away. They were supposed to stay far away. They called out to Jesus for mercy. And Jesus' response was, go show yourself to the priests. Now, some of you might be familiar with the rule, um, but if you were healed of any illness that required you to remain separated from the community, the way you were reinstated back into community is, in a sense, to prove it. You would show up to the temple, the priest would check you over, And then you would do a purification ritual and you'd be able to rejoin your family and your friends and fully participate in the life of the community. That was how it was supposed to go. 
In fact, you weren't allowed to go back into the village or into your home or to your people without first being cleared by the priest. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. This is not a spoiler. We all know what happens next, right? They go see the priest on the way. They are made clean. And then one of them notices and turns back to say thank you. We just heard it. I literally am not spoiling anything here. And I'll get to all of that in a moment, but I want to take a pause here and talk about the moment where the ten of them got up and went. Presentation to a priest is a thing you do after you are healed. But Jesus doesn't heal them before they are sent to the temple. Our text today says, as they went on their way, they were made clean. This little detail captured me so much this week. I realized it requires so much faith and trust and hope. And I also realized that I am very cynical as I read this week because my first thought was, why did they go? Like, what made them get up and go? And I also realized that there was a very high probability that if I were one of those ten and Jesus told me to get up and go to the temple, I'd be like, why? I'm still sick. I'm not better yet. The order of things is, you make me better, then I go, right? That's how this works. If you expect me to get up and walk into the town, which, side note, totally against the rules, very not safe for somebody who was in that community, I'm just supposed to trust that it's going to work out for me okay? Yeah, no, thank you, Jesus. Here's how this is going to go, okay? First you heal me, and then I'll go, right? That's, that's the way this works. But not these guys. They got up and they went before they were healed. We miss it on our way to get to the end of this section. Before we, we miss it as we go towards that one guy who turned around. But this week, I just got stuck here because I wondered what kind of trust would it take to do that? What kind of hope would I need to act before the outcome was assured for me? Isn't that true for more than just me? How often are we called into health and wholeness and a reconnection into community before we're ready? Before we think we're worthy of it? Those 10, my gosh. We give so much credit to that one who came back, and I will, I will get to him, I promise, but goodness gracious, what about those ten and their willingness to get up and go? So they do it. They get up, they go, they go to see the priest, and it says, on their way there, they are healed. And only one of them turns back. This is familiar for most of us, but there's another moment in this very familiar moment that I got stuck this week. Only one noticed. Our text says, and one of them, when he saw he was healed, stopped and turned around. I wonder if there's something we should also notice about awareness here. I imagine the other nine go to the temple as they are supposed to, and the priest there tells them they are clean, and they go off and celebrate with their family. This guy, he sees for himself that he has been healed, and then he goes to Jesus, and Jesus says, you are clean. That is a different moment for this one guy. 
And there is sort of a ritual in today's text with this one guy. He notices. That requires a moment of stopping and seeing and recognizing. And then he stops his forward trajectory towards the thing he's supposed to do, towards the thing he's always doing, and he turns back and he praises. And I'm not sure if all of you are aware of this, but every week with the lectionary, we are given four texts to read from. Aren't you so lucky that we only choose two every week? You're welcome. And the reason I chose the psalm this week to be read with the gospel is because it is a praise psalm and that it is a praise psalm unlike so many other of the praise psalms. This one is a reminder that our praise comes from realizing what God has done for us. The realization comes first, the praise comes second. It is realizing what God has done in us and in the world, and then we have no other option in response but praise. You heard Morgan read this morning that God does wonderful deeds, that God is gracious and merciful, that God provides food and makes promises and is powerful and trustworthy and faithful. Praise comes because we realize what God has done, can do, still does. And the only response when we recognize those things is stopping what we're doing and turning around and praising God. And that's what this Samaritan does. Now, Jesus' response here, if you were just reading it at face value, kind of leaves a lot to be desired, right? He says, we're not 10, didn't I? Didn't I heal 10 of you guys? Doesn't seem that kind or loving of Jesus. But for almost all of Luke's gospel, Jesus has been saying these kind of over-the-line statements to make a point. And in this case, it's like Jesus decided to say out loud what all the disciples were thinking. The one guy that came back was a Samaritan. He is, in their opinion, the least likely of just about anyone to do the right thing. I mean, he's a foreigner. What does he know? And the disciples, they have been trained by their culture, by their society, by their people to assume the worst about that Samaritan. So they do what they are trained to do. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. He says, this guy, can you believe it? Only one guy comes back and it's the Samaritan? I love this moment. Most of you know by now that snarky Jesus, my favorite Jesus, and this is probably because I'm also a little snarky, so then if Jesus does it, I feel like it's okay when I do it. You know, snarky's holy. You heard it here first. Where are the other nine, Jesus says. The only one who came to give praise to God was this guy who doesn't know any better, who doesn't even worship in the right place, who looks different, he believes so differently than we do. Can you believe it? I think the disciples... By this point in Luke's gospel, they have a handle on who Jesus is here for in this moment. They're ready for it. They are all about this Messiah life that they are in a part of. Surely Jesus wouldn't be here for that guy. That would be crazy. 
And Jesus tells the Samaritan, not the disciples, he tells the Samaritan man, the one who definitely does not believe the same thing they do, that it was his faith that made him well. And you hear the disciples going, that guy? Really? Again, I got stuck this week on this detail too, that the man gets made clean as he is running to the temple priest, but it is Jesus that declares him well. And the word here, in my opinion, well, mediocre translation, the better word is whole. Your faith has made you whole. That man, that Samaritan man, he knew exactly what that meant for him. He knew everything was changed. No longer would he be confined to the outside. No longer would he be disconnected from his community because of his illness. And I wonder, if that were you, what would your response be? Would you stop mid-run and take notice? Would you realize what it means? Would you fully turn around and go praise God, falling to the feet of the one who healed you and say, Thank you. Do you see how this story is so much more than the night before Thanksgiving, don't forget to say thanks, right? It's so much more than that. This story is a huge moment for Luke's audience. They are Gentiles, and they finally have someone like them in the story who is commended for their faith who is called into the community by God, an outsider brought in, they look at that Samaritan and they say, he's like me, so I must be in too. And as usual, Jesus knew his audience. He speaks on this day to the Samaritan and to the disciples. There is a clear moment where he shifts to the man that has been healed after he has talked to the disciples. For those disciples, Jesus' words are a reminder that they aren't the only ones who get the grace of God. They aren't as special as they think they are. Samaritans, the least likely, the ones they have been trained and taught to think are wrong and bad, who they've been trained to hate, who get booed at rallies, they are recipients of God's love too. For the Samaritan, in this story, though, there is literally no other response than praise. It is the only thing he is capable of doing in this moment. He is reinstated into community as an outsider. You cannot understand what it is like. He has been made whole. All he's got in this moment is praise. So the question we often ask when these kinds of texts are in front of us is, who are you in this story? Spoiler, you're not Jesus, so we'll just get that out of the way. Are you the self-assured disciple who needs to hear Jesus' praise of the outsider? Or are you the Samaritan who can only praise God and thank Jesus for being brought in? Maybe like me, you're a little both on this day. Now, I know this is going to surprise a lot of you, but I, too, get a little overconfident sometimes about who Jesus is for. And really, when I say that, what I mean is who Jesus is not for, right? I heard Barbara Brown Taylor speak not too many months ago. She was talking about uh, a book she had just wrote called Holy Envy, though if you haven't heard of her, let me tell you, she's a prophet, 
legit. And I will tell you what book to read if you want to talk to me afterwards, because they're all good, but I've got some favorites. But she was talking about this new book, Holy Envy, where she really spoke about all these different denominations and religion and how God is in each of them and how we can find God in each of them. And she was talking about inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. And then she said, well, what do we do about those who are on the other side who exclude? And she said to this room full of pretty progressive Christians, I think we should exclude the excluders. And everybody in that room went, woo And she said, no! <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> she was like, oh my gosh, no, that's the wrong answer. We do this. When we think we are inclusive, we still exclude it. It is in our nature. We get a little overconfident about who Jesus is for. Also in the story, I am a little bit of the Samaritan. We are Gentile. We are by our nature outsiders in this story. And we too have been brought in. We have been made whole. When I stop, just take a moment and notice and think about what God has done and is doing in my life and in the world, when I actually stop to think about that, all I've got is praise. And I know that that means different things for different people. I get it. But I think this is a moment when you stop and think. It doesn't matter if you're not sure what you believe about God. It doesn't matter if you're doubting if God is real or not. When you stop and notice and think about the way you have been made whole and you've been brought in and you have heard you who are lost have been found, when you stop and think about that, all we can do in response is praise. It is the opposite of exclusion. And that kind of praise kind of leads us right to where we started in kids' time today with gratitude. Luther Seminary professor Caroline Lewis said, praise has to come before gratitude. Doesn't make sense. We often do it the other way around. But she said, it affirms the object of our gratitude first. So it confirms that the person or the entity who we express our gratitude to is God. Only then, only when we take this time to praise, to recognize what God does, is doing, has done, only then does thankfulness even make sense. So there's this rhythm in, in this movement of the Samaritan man in this story that he stops and he notices and he turns around and he gives praise and he says, thanks. And then Jesus says a thing to him. I don't know if you caught it, but he says, now go on your way. So that's all that's left for us. We too have been found and healed and made whole and declared loved and enough. And now we stop and we noticed and we sang and we praised the heck out of that. And now we say, thank you. And it's time for us to go on our way. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>